This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have two very special guests today who actually I've known for years from the FI community. So both of you, tell us who you are and what you do. Um, I'm Emily Lowry. And I'm James Lowry. And uh, we are real estate investors and we are fired. And so what we do changes from day to day. <laughs> you're fired, but you're both very young. You're under 30, correct? We fired when we were under 30. I just turned 31. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, that age is getting to me already. Uh, so I just turned 31. Emily's still 29. Yeah, so she's still in her 20s. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It all goes to shit when you're 32. So you're, you're good for a little while longer, a very short while. But Yeah. So, James, you and I had an interesting experience at the Washington, D.C. FinCon. Do you remember that? I do remember it uh, vividly. It's unfortunately burned into my memory forever. Okay. Would you like to relate that story? I'll, I'll set it up. You and I were in the lobby of the hotel having a conversation. I don't remember what we were talking about. It's ir irrelevant. Um, yeah. And what happened after that? So... Some guy came up and accosted us, essentially. It was in the afternoon, right? So this person had plenty of time to prepare themselves for the day. And uh, instead, they came up to us disheveled and uh, a distinct odor emanated from this person. And um, I think that he thought we were a couple, and You're he, wearing your pink shorts. I was wearing my short pink shorts. So in his defense, it makes a little more sense. But um, he was wearing a shirt that said, Matthew McConaughey, my face is your seat or something like that. <laughs> and um, and then he started just shit talking uh, the fire movement. Little did he know that like both of us were in it. You know, I think he was just there maybe for FenCon, maybe not. I have no idea where this guy came from, but uh, he did not agree with fire. He did not think it was possible. He did not like, it was a pretty funny conversation. Yeah. It was so bizarre because we're just standing there minding our own business. And he came up to us and he was all disheveled. His hair was like all over the place. And he smelled like, I remember even from like four or five feet away, you could smell this guy and he, he starts asking us all kinds of like strange questions i'm like what is going on here and then i happen to peek at his shirt i'm like oh okay that this is what's going on here uh what yeah. is going on what does that tell you from that shirt <laughs> well i i knew at that point he looked like what his sexual orientation was it was pretty pretty clear at that point there was no hiding it and uh yeah and then it devolved into a conversation about fire so it, uh, James, if we have a, I don't think either of us will have a stranger conversation in our entire life than we had on that day. Yeah, it was, it was bizarre. I can't remember some of the things like specifically that he said. I just remember it being just a, a very weird conversation. I do remember him saying, you know, so what do y'all think about this whole fire movement thing? Right. <laughs> and was saying it negatively and was like kind of leading questions, you know, it was, it was pretty funny. Interesting. So 
you guys didn't win him over. He didn't start a blog after that. <laughs> if he did, we don't know about it. Maybe he was one of your stalkers, James. Maybe you just didn't know it. He had been like following you the whole time, and that was finally when he caught up to you. That's that's my theory. Yeah, I mean, you never know with some of these readers out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he's into the fire movement. If he's still alive, he was pretty rough. I hope whoever he is, he's okay, because uh, <laughs> he was going through a rough time, and who knows where he came from. Did, did you just wander in off the street? Was he actually there to attend the conference? Uh, I don't know. Answers we'll probably never know. Yeah. But there are more FinCons. Maybe we'll see him in Orlando. And if you're listening, um, yeah, come say hi. I hope you're in a better shape, better shape or m- maybe don't say hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> full, yeah, it could be full circle. He's now a listener. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's uh, let's get into it. I'd like to start out by talking a little bit about your background because I think you both have, shall I say, anti-fire backgrounds, maybe extreme ones. I'm going to put on my reading glasses. This will happen to you too. You probably have at least 10 years until this happens, but okay. So the first one, this is from your about page on your blog, Rethink the Rat Race. And the first one is James. So uh, James, your father died tragically at a young age, right? 13, I think you said you were? Correct. Yeah, I was 13. Yeah. So you were raised by a single mother who worked at Walmart to afford to raise three kids. It's safe to say my family was pretty poor growing up. My grandfather was kind enough to watch us while our mother worked third shift. However, she didn't contribute much in the way of finances other than helping my mother manage the little money that she had coming in. I couldn't count how many times the water or electricity was cut off and we had numerous cars repossessed. And then fast forward to your future. For a while, I overcompensated for my humble upbringing by spending every dime I had to buy nice things to prove that I wasn't poor, which just perpetuated the cycle and made me poor. I had plenty of examples growing up on how not to manage your money or your health. Once I saw the light, it was relatively easy to make the changes I needed which were to go back and live like I was poor again, except this time was by choice. So I've got two follow-up questions to this. Uh, One about each time in your life. The first one is, I always hear people say on podcasts or blogs that we were poor growing up, but we didn't realize it till later. Was that the case? It sounds like you were in, in pretty dire straits there. Did you know how shitty your situation was when you were young and your utilities were gone and your cars were being towed away? So I knew that that wasn't normal, but uh, I didn't know how drastic it was until, again, like you mentioned, most people don't realize until they've gotten older. Um, you know, like we would we would act like we were like camping because the electricity was cut off. And so we would be sitting around in the living room, like all of us together with like candles lit and stuff like that. And for us, it was like a fun family experience, which is like so weird. And uh, I had this conversation with some friends uh, just actually like a couple weeks ago. And Emily was in with them that they had never even seen a repossession, right, of a car, right? And I had lived through it like multiple times as a kid, like having to go out to the car and get my toys out of the car. Like it sounds like traumatizing, but at the time I didn't know that that wasn't like, obviously I didn't, I knew that wasn't normal, but I didn't think that like, that everybody was so much more well off than we were, uh, just like naturally, you know, we, we ate every night. Like, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, like there were times where we starved, but sometimes it might've been, uh, peanut butter and crackers for dinner, you know? And, uh, and so it was, it was very interesting, but looking back on it, I, I obviously realized like how much more poor we were than I thought, because 
Like they did a really good job of, you know, making sure that we always had clothes, that we always had food, um, that we were always where we needed to be and that we had what we needed. So. So then you overcompensated and I read on your blog that at one point you had five cars and just to clarify, is that simultaneously? Yeah, no, all <laughs> five cars are at one time. I, I saw the open wheel race car. What is it? I'm a car person, but I couldn't identify that. It kind of looked like an aerial atom, but it, it's yeah, not that. Yeah, it is. So it it's is. a poor okay. man's aerial atom. Well, it's a poor man's aerial atom. It looks a lot like one. So yeah, it's essentially scaffolding going down the road. It's a kit car that you can build out of a Mazda Miata. And so I had bought a Miata and was planning to convert it into this. Um, and that was one of the five at the time that I owned five was a Miata. And, uh, and then I ended up selling the Miata and buying the kit car already done, uh, which, you know, was fun because then I didn't have to do any of the work. I just got to enjoy, reap the benefits of someone else's labor. And, uh, and then, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was just a completely impractical car though. It was the dumbest purchase maybe ever. <laughs> and what, I'm just curious, what kind of cars were the other four at the time? Okay. So yeah, so I had five, so I had a 74 Mercedes. Sorry. Yeah. 74 Mercedes diesel, a 240D. Loved it. Like it taught me patience. I was not a very patient person. <laughs> I had a 74 Saab Sonnet, which is not a very popular car. No one really knows what that is. And then I had an 84 BMW diesel. So I was really into European cars. And uh, then I had the Miata. And I also had a 2006 uh, BMW 3 Series at the time. And what part of the country did you live in? I'm just curious because they're, they're all, those are all foreign cars, right? Right. So we were in Alabama uh, at the time. And the way that I could afford this was because I was still living at home and uh, all the cars were like really cheap. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I was just rolling in money. Like I think that, you know, the most expensive one was probably six grand. And I think I got a loan for that. So the other ones were between like two and three grand. Okay. I think I got the Miata for like 1200 bucks. It's <laughs> a good deal. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So when did you realize that you were living this ridiculous life? How did you turn it around? So we got married and um, we had bought a condo and the condo, there was like one parking space. And I was like, I mean, that wasn't really the catalyst. I had already sold off a couple of the cars just because they were getting more and more unreliable and I needed to be able to get to work on time. And, uh, and so once we bought a condo and only had like one parking space a piece, essentially, I realized like, okay, this is a little ridiculous with all the cars. And then I found out about uh, financial independence uh, through Mr. My Mustache, through a patient at a physical therapy clinic that I worked at. And she introduced us to Mr. My Mustache. And um, and it was just like a light bulb went off in my head, uh, you know. And so that's when, like, we were, I mean, it wasn't immediate, but we were pretty deep into the fire space at that point. And so that, to me, was like, I needed that type of, like, brash, like, you're weak uh, for doing these things. Like, I needed that. That's the type of person that I am. And so like, you know, this guy calling me a bitch for driving my SUV to work, like that was perfect because then I started biking like every day. It was perfect. That, that's so awesome. It's always so interesting to hear what resonates with people and what doesn't. I've told many people about Mr. Money Mustache, but I think the effect that I've had is people see it and they're like, oh my God, this, this looks horrible. So I actually turn them in the other direction. But you, yeah, you saw you were weak. You saw you needed to make changes and you pivoted and, and that was it. That's pretty cool. Emily, I'd like to read your part from the about 
uh, section on the blog and says, mm-hmm. with, with no financial skills to keep me centered, shopping and spending money got the better of me. Luckily, I have a husband who drug me along on this journey and taught me how to save money. Uh, so how did that come about? Did he just come home from work one day and talk about Mr. Money Mustache? Or do you remember how you made this change and was it difficult? It it, it was difficult. And it was it was basically I came home from work and he had already cut down the uh, hot water heater. The AC was, you know, set to like 75 and um, all of these changes had been made. And um, I remember I had gone to um, the store, you know, a couple of days before and I had, you know, found a dress and bought it in the same dress in three different patterns. And he, <laughs> he was giving me a hard time about that. I ended up returning them. But um, it was one of those where it was like, no more shopping, no more, you know, all of these like going out to eat and frivolous things. But I wasn't on board at first. And I just, I don't know, I just wasn't convinced because, you know, we couldn't do all of these things that we were doing. And I think that was when we got the kit car is because, he couldn't get me on board. And so he, we just went the complete opposite direction and got that. And then I think um, once <laughs> I was convinced that, not convinced, but once I realized that I could retire by, you know, 30 um, and not have to work forever, not forever, but, you know, to the typical age, then I was convinced because I, I didn't like my job at the time. And so once I knew that I didn't have to work for, you know, my lifetime, then, then I was convinced. And what, what kind of jobs did you guys have at the time? I was an engineer. Um, and I, uh, I managed a physical therapy clinic at the time. Okay. And what kind of engineer, Emily? Um, so I started out as a design engineer and then I switched to systems, but actually I worked with my dad. Um, and so I saw the, the stress and the, like the toll that it took on him and he's still working. Um, we haven't convinced him to retire yet, which he's, you know, he's at retirement age. They hit their numbers a couple years ago. And um, so I don't know. I just saw the, I don't know, the light, the quality of life that um, some of the um, coworkers had. And um, I just didn't want that. That's been a thread. Uh, I have an engineering background, but didn't do pure engineering. And then we interviewed uh, Vivi a while back and she was an engineer, hated it. Do you have any wisdom, Emily, about why some engineers have a low quality of life or what the disconnect is? Some people do love it and they'll keep working like your dad. Maybe he doesn't love it, but they'll just stick with it. So do you know why engineers are often unhappy? Um, I think there's a number of things, but I think a big part of it is um, one management um, is that like, you know, they, they just want the job done by this, like a certain date and they don't care what it takes to get there. And so that means like, you know, poor quality of life. Um, and, you know, sitting in an office all day, seeing like zero sunlight, um, and that, you know, low vitamin D levels leads to, you know, depression and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I think that leads into, I don't know, just being unhappy in general. And there are people that do love their job and, you know, find, fulfillment in it. But I just think that there's, you know, I guess a certain number of people that just, I don't know, don't like it. Yeah. Dilbert nails it. I don't know (laughs) if people are fans, but the pointy headed boss kind of nails it. So I don't know. I remember I used to read Dilbert and oftentimes I'm like, oh, this is better than my job. Like I wish I had the the Dilbert life. (laughs) That's a great HR director. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about financial independence later in the interview. 
But I'd like to talk about health a bit because you two are health nuts. Uh, you're not vegans anymore, but you were for a while. You participated in bodybuilding competitions. You were really into it and you're super fit. And that might have led to that incident we talked about at the FinCon DC too. <laughs> but we don't need to talk about that anymore. <laughs> um, and I, I think fitness goes hand in hand with a lot of, um, you know, that might not be the right way to put it. I think fitness is a priority for many in the financial independence community. And I'm not sure why that is. Maybe we're more thoughtful. Do, do you have any? Nah, that's a that's a bad thing to say. I don't think we're any more thoughtful. But do you think do you think that's true? And if so, why do you think that is? I think it uh, it does hold true. Just because if you prioritize your financial health, then you're also thinking about your mental health, your physical health, and other things like that, right? And um, it's also like a delayed gratification thing, right? Like you're not going to show up to the gym and immediately, you know, pop up with abs or, you know, like not even that's necessarily what people are shooting for. Right. But, you know, you might not lower your blood pressure in one workout. Right. And so the delayed gratification of just seeing little wins and being able to compound those into like a, a life changing event, uh, which is very much like fire. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Oh, no, we, and you're also like with fire, you're taking back your life. And so I feel like um, if you're improving your quality of life by doing what you want to do. And so like, I feel like people want to prolong their life too and live a better life. Yeah, that's a great answer. I never thought about the delayed gratification thing, but that's so true. You're willing to work at it for months and months and months to see the result where most people just want something right now. So very good. So Doug and I have been working on getting ourselves in shape. We've had this fitness challenge going, and I, I think we both need help, especially me. Can you tell us a little bit more? I'd like to ask you more about your routines. What do you all eat on a regular basis? So we, um, you mentioned we used to be free again. Now we kind of eat a little differently. Um, I fast in the mornings. I don't eat until after my workout, which sometimes can be one or two, uh, you know, sometimes can be 12, 11. And so I, I enjoy intermittent fasting. I enjoy skipping breakfast. I've been doing this for years. And um, so we used to be freegan. Now we do eat meat and we usually get it from the local farmer's market. I'd say 80 to 90% of what we eat is organic. And so we like really prioritize like the quality of the food that we're eating. We try to avoid like processed things, you know, and sugars and stuff like that. And it's like, it's the little things that add up like, to me, it's the most egregious thing in the world that they, that like 90% of the peanut butter you find has sugar in it. Like I, it just pisses me off. Like that's the straw that broke the camel's back for me is that peanut butter, all of it has sugar. And so like I find a couple of brands that are natural peanut butter that don't have added sugar. It's like peanuts and salt. And I have to like buy those in bulk because otherwise I'll never find it again. It's so crazy. And before you go on, you said freegan, right? So not vegan. What is, can you define that for the folks that don't know? Yeah. So freegan is kind of a, a phrase that we, I don't know that we coined it, but the idea was we were vegan as far as our dollar was concerned. So when we would go and buy things, it was vegan food, right? Uh, you know, no animal products. And if someone brought food, like for instance, to work, like where Emily was working, where, where I was working, we would have people like, you know, lunches and stuff like that from work. And so if it wasn't like where our dollar was concerned, then we would just eat anything as long as it was free. Because to us, food waste is a bigger issue, even like on a moral level or even like on a you know national level or worldwide level than veganism. So for us, it was more about reducing food waste and also saving money while doing that. 
And then when it came to us spending money, we were only buying vegan food. So, Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And in a social situation, it makes it much easier to just, you know, go along with what, whatever food someone brought in and maybe they spent a lot of time on it or something. And there's some, some butter in the cookies, although you guys wouldn't eat cookies probably because of sugar. No, we do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like we did not want to be the insufferable people that no one wanted to hang around with because all they did was evangelize veganism and try to make everybody feel bad about what they were eating. No, we were right there partaking ourselves. So it depends on where you fall in the line of it as far as like, is it for health? Is it for, you know, animal welfare? Is it for, you know, the environment? What's it for? And so depending on what it's for determines like where you may fall on that morally. Yep. And it actually, it's the, the joke, right? Like, how do you know if someone's a vegan? <laughs> Don't worry. They'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard that one. I'm, I'm thinking about someone, but yeah, I'm not going to go there. The food waste thing is near and dear to my heart. I, I can't stand seeing food being thrown out. And a funny story, like my kids now know how I am. And we were at a restaurant just a couple of days ago and these people next to us had left and they just had all this food on the table. Like, why wouldn't you at least ask for a box? There's no shame in that, at least to me. And my kids see me looking at the table and they're like, no, dad, it would be a bad idea to take their food with you. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't actually do that. But have, have you done that before? No, I've considered it though. Especially when you see like they've got just a plate of something and they haven't touched it. I'm like, what happened there? Like, just yeah. broccoli. And, and, some, and some people don't eat leftovers, which we, we eat leftovers all the time. I'll keep eating them for, you know, probably longer than I should. But Doug, anyway. <laughs> Doug, I only eat leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So wh where are we at here? Uh, Going off track here. We're in sleep. This has become a popular topic because I think just recently everyone's realizing how important sleep is. I know. For example, if you sleep poorly, your levels of testosterone are, are going to drop. I know Peter Atia has talked about that on his podcast. Uh, uh, what do you think about sleep? <laughs> I used to be very different than I am now. I'll say yeah. that, right? Um, I have self-diagnosed myself with this thing called non-somnia, which means like it's not insomnia in that I try to sleep and I can't sleep. Uh, it's called non-somnia, which means I don't need as much sleep to function. Mm. So there were times in my life that like for months and months and months, I was getting four hours of sleep per night. Um, and, and it did not affect me in any way negatively that I know of, right? I wasn't going and getting blood tests and stuff like this, but this was in college. This was after college. Um, I did not sleep for probably a few years for more than, I mean, maybe five hours on a good night, right? And I was going to college, I was still working out, I was working during all this time. And it, there was no negative effect that I saw. And it was it wasn't even like I was setting an alarm, I was just naturally waking up super early, and I was naturally going to sleep very late. And I've since we've kind of done the fire thing. And since we've been together, particularly, uh, that's changed more and more. I'm now sleeping like on seven hours a night, right? But I'm still waking up without an alarm. It's six in the morning. And so it's uh, I, it's something that I struggle with, but it's not something that like I'm trying to sleep more because like I feel very good at what level I'm sleeping. And so it, it might be seven hours a night now, but um, that's very different. Yeah. yeah. I'm the complete opposite. Like I need more sleep um, almost to, I don't know. I like I, if I don't have an alarm or any kind of light in the mornings, then I will sleep the day away. Um, no matter what time I go to bed kind of thing. But And like, uh, how, how many hours is that, Emily, would you say? 
Um, anywhere from, I don't know, eight to 10 to 11 hours, maybe. No, uh, not 11, 11 hours. No, no. no way. Um, but I mean, if I have less than, if I have less than eight, it's hard for me to function. Mm-hmm. Um, like if it's a late, you know, go to bed at, you know, 12 and then have to be up by before eight, then I have a hard time, um, getting through the day without caffeine or anything like that. <laughs> and especially like when we go out with friends and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, like we might have a late night, right. Where we're out until two in the morning, hanging out with people. And then we come back and it'll take her a few days to catch back up. Right. Yeah. It'll be like, you know, an hour extra a night until we catch back up. But on a typical day, you know, we, we get up in the mornings and we go outside, we seek light. And that to us is like a big part of, you know, our sleeping habits. Emily is very diligent about it. I need to do better about it, about keeping the blue light off of her phone. And so, you know, like when she's going to bed, she's not constantly exposed to blue light and that helps prepare her for sleep. And we don't have blue lights in the house and stuff like that. And so it's different things like that. Gotcha. And then James, for those late nights, do you just still, you still wake up at like six in the morning the next day, even if you go to bed at like three or something? Yeah, inevitably. Is it? But it doesn't, yeah, yeah, it doesn't bother me. The only, the only thing that frustrates me is like, it depends on where we're at because we bounce around from rental to rental or, you know, we're snowbird in Florida. Um, and so depending on where we are at the time uh, determines whether or not I can get up. And so like right now we're, uh, we're renovating uh, one of our rentals to turn it into an Airbnb. Um, and it's a, it's essentially a studio, right? There is a wall that separates the bedroom and the living room, but there's like an open area between that wall that we're like putting decorations on and stuff like that. But what that does is unfortunately, regardless of what time I wake up, I try to stay as quiet as possible and not move essentially, uh, so that Emily can sleep. Cause I don't want to be the one waking her up because I don't need sleep, but she does, right? That's not necessarily fair to her. So, uh, so it limits me on my mornings. It's just frustrating from that perspective, not necessarily from any other way. Gotcha. Well, as someone that's a few years older than you, that'll change maybe when you turn <laughs> about 35, cause I, I'll, I'll, I'll still wake up early even after drinking and partying and stuff, but I, f- I feel it for like the whole rest of the day. So enjoy it while you can, man. It's, it's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been with you with those times, Doug, and you're super cranky. I, <laughs> no, no, I just made that up. Doug is very, very even keeled. I've never actually seen you. <laughs> I'm just before. silent, silent, yeah, sitting silent. there. And then do you guys take any supplements for sleep or actually we could talk about supplements in general, but focus on sleep first and then you could broaden it. I think when we, we don't really, we don't currently do any um, supplements for sleep like melatonin, but we will, if we're traveling, um, especially if we're going to um, a different time zone um, and then we'll, uh, take that to help get on the, um, the local time. Mm-hmm. It kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes I take a ZMA, which is uh, zinc, magnesium, and I guess vitamin A. Uh, and I take that before sleep. And sometimes it has some type of like melatonin in it or something like that. But, um, that ebbs and flows. If I run out of it, I won't take it for a few months and then I'll take it again. And, uh, and so that's supposed to help with like testosterone production and sleep quality and things like that. Got it. And Carl, do you take any sleep supplements right now? Um, I do nothing as far as that goes. Okay. I have a glass of scotch before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. Yeah. No, I started taking um, 
the magnesium three and eight. I think one of the podcasts we listened to mentioned it and I've found it to be pretty good. Um, What's that called? Magnesium three and eight? Three and eight. Yeah. I'll show you upstairs later, but uh, it seems okay. And it's probably like the same stuff. uh, Whatever uh, stack that you're taking, James, is like a piece of it. It sounds like. Right. Exactly. I've heard that some uh, strains of magnesium are good for like sleep and Mm -hmm. relaxing you. Perfect. And then other other supplements in, in general, anything else you guys take on a regular basis or maybe you did in the past? Yeah, we'll do um, multivitamins, probiotics, um, um, like an omega-3 or 6, so like some kind of omega blend. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back and forth between um, or I'll like cycle through doing beef liver um, just because that's so um, nutrient rich. Um, and so like I was using that as my multivitamin. Um, and then I've kind of switched out um, to doing like a regular multivitamin, but I'll supplement in the beef liver to like kind of help, um, I don't know, like feel better and, you know, get like more nutrients. But I can't remember what else we take. Yeah. It's uh, organ meats are supposed to be like super healthy. And yeah. so like when we go to the local farmer's market, we're the only people buying organ meat unless there are people buying it for their dogs. Uh, and so that's kind of funny. Like we're essentially eating what people would use this dog food yeah i was gonna say um, my dog loves beef liver yeah yeah. so what do you you so you bought the leaf beef liver and then what do you do you cook it in a certain way like how how do you make it taste great so there well there's two you can get capsules which is like the um like freeze-dried liver and then you can get the like actual like liver Mm -hmm. um but I i don't really know i mean you can cook it like kind of like ground beef or, you know, just like brown it and then chop it up and uh, put spices on there and have it like a taco. Or, yeah. And we've done um, it before, like a, um, like a like, dip for like yeah. hummus almost kind of thing. But cooked. Yeah. Cooked, um, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, cooked and blended. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously it's got like an interesting flavor, but uh, yeah, we, we do like, I mean, I eat like beef tongue and stuff like that. And we get, you know, livers or hearts or, mm-hmm. you know, just different organ meats that are essentially off cuts. Again, the, the food waste part of it for us is like, you know, a big part of it. And so we want to utilize as much of an animal as we can, if we're going to eat animals. So mm. I think I sense a new diet book coming on. It's going to be called <laughs> the dog food diet. I will write the forward, <laughs> but I mean, could you just cut out the middleman and eat actual dog food? Like you can Uber Alpo or whatever, like get the same shit. I don't, I don't I know. I bet that's a lot worse for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You, usually the beef liver is like in the treat section. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a delicacy, okay. even for the dogs. I'm going to, yeah. So you have a to-do, the dog food diet. It's the cheap dog food too, diet. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. cheap. It's nutritious. It's a win on every front, except maybe taste. Yeah. I don't know. So I actually, the first time I went to a Camp Fi, um, we were getting ready to go. And Justin from Root of Good, who's like a good friend of ours now, we hadn't met him yet. And I just knew that he was speaking at this event. I was like, you know what? I should probably see what his blog's about. And so I pull it up. And he's like doing his like net worth updates and all this kind of stuff. And I click one of the articles and it's talking about like all these different ways to save money. And uh, one of the ways was eating cat food. And he was talking about like what the price per calorie was, like the flavors, like the flavor profile of it. He was like going really in depth in it. And I was like, Emily, this asshole eats cat food. And so like, I just, it blew my mind for a minute. And then I realized it was an April fool's post. Yeah, yeah. And so that like, I, I always laugh about like eating dog food because I thought legitimately some of these fire people are eating dog food or cat food. <laughs> there's, there's probably someone right now eating meow mix because of that blog post. Like, huh, yeah. this ain't so bad. Yeah. It's not too bad. <laughs> 
That's good. I thought that was real for a second, but yeah, good April Fool's joke. That's solid. Yeah, let's talk about exercise. What do y'all do for exercise? A wide range of stuff. Yeah. Um, I do like I, it's a mix between like spin class, yoga, and I do it's um I, I'm on like one of the fitness apps. But I got last year I got so if you entered in like five food entries or five workouts on my fitness pal, you got a free your membership to one of the, um, the workout apps. And so like, I've been doing, like, I'm still on the free year. Um, and I've been really enjoying like, you know, just having like, a, uh, an app or just some, like a guided thing, um, that tells me like what to do, how long to rest, um, like what workouts to do and stuff like that. So that is, um, a mix between like, I could do anything from, um, like hit workouts to like regular strength training or yoga and stuff like that. So I've really been enjoying doing that, um, and mixing in like walking and, um, spin classes and stuff like that. Yeah. And my workouts are completely different from that. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy powerlifting. So I try to, and this ebbs and flows too. Like, so, um, every few months I'll kind of change it up. And so I do, there's, there's a thing called move Nat, and this is like a natural movement thing that like, I just follow their Instagram and I look at the different people that are doing it. And it's like random stuff. Like they'll be rolling around on the ground or they're like crawling or they're climbing trees. And it's supposed to be like, incredibly natural movements, like just being able to hop up on a wall or, you know, different stuff like that. And so, um, like pistol squats from the ground or Turkish get ups or just different things like that. And so I like to do that every now and then, um, I do that like every few months, but then I'll always end up kind of reverting back and doing like a big compound lift. And then I do exercises after that. So for instance, like I like to do a push pull leg workout. And so there's a push day, a pull day, and then a leg day. And so push, I do bench, and then I do all different pushing movements. So shoulders, triceps, chest, different stuff like that. Then pulling, I do the same thing just with the deadlifts first. And so I like to start with one big heavy movement. And then I go from there, like down the rabbit hole of smaller intricate movements. And then I like to do the move nat thing, or we bike a lot. Mm -hmm. Like we actually mountain bike a lot, which I I love. Uh, That to me is like my favorite it's, it's obviously a different type of workout, but it's cardio, it's leg work. You're getting a ton of fresh air and it's mentally stimulating because like, you've got to be sure that you're paying attention a hundred percent. Otherwise uh, you could fuck up and mess something up. One thing I've changed my mind about lately is uh, I've read this. And again, this is, is another Peter Tia thing, how when we grow old, the main thing we lose is muscle mass. It's not cardiovascular endurance, or if it is, it's related to loss of muscle. So that guy always makes the point that we should focus, uh, like weight training might be the most important thing to focus on. Um, what, what do you think about that? I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, there was actually like, I can't remember the exact metric, so I don't want to be that person that like misquotes things, but there was speculation that the reason why, uh, Japanese people live much longer than us. They have a much longer life expectancy is because they get up from the ground very often. Like they eat on the ground, they sleep on the ground. And so just the ability to get up and down by yourself, like when someone falls in the States at an old age, like they're going to die within like six months, the likelihood is like super high. Um, and especially like if they've broken a hip or something like that. And so that to me is just such an interesting thing, just being able to get up from the ground. And so like to, to have the muscle mass and the self-control to be able to do that is uh, for some people it's difficult, but it is definitely something that ties into like your life expectancy, which is such a crazy thing. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? We had a whole product based on that. Like remember those old commercials, help by falling and I can't get up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, I think, and, and that's a joke, And but I think it's true. I, I had a friend who said his grandfather every day would would lay on the ground and then stand up. And the guy was like 90, still doing this just to make sure he still could. I think uh, mm. I've heard that same thing that you just mentioned, James. And I think that's very important. Isn't it sad? There's probably a, I don't know what it would be like, how many people, once you get to be 80, could not get themselves up from a, from laying down on the ground. Wow. It's probably more than you think it would be. Which is like, to me, one of the things that also kind of dictates the, um, the move Nat thing. Like I've talked with Emily about this. There's something to be said about not necessarily like, I mean, being healthy is obviously great. Right. But also being healthy for usefulness, right? Like I, I am the person that people call when they need like furniture moved and stuff like that, which I enjoy, but not even that, right. Not even the necessary, not, not, not necessarily needing to be needed. Right. But let's say that you're a grandmother and you have, uh, four-year-old granddaughter, right? And she runs to, and, and is running toward the street and you have to be able to physically run, catch her to grab her and lift her and three, do that without injuring either of you. Right. To me, like there's something to be said about being useful and like not being a liability just by being there, you know? And so like you, you need to be able to be able to be useful to unload your groceries, to be able to put your bag up by yourself, you know, at, um, at the baggage claim or to do it overhead and something like that. I just think that like being useful is such an important thing. Any follow-ups, Doug? No, that was well said. Okay. Uh, let's talk about investing. Uh, is your main focus real estate and what kind of real estate, if that's true? It is real estate. We started out with long-term rentals and then we've diversified into um, short-term. So it's about half and half, mm -hmm. half short-term, half long-term. And then we do um, invest in like other streams of investing. Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, our 401ks and our IRAs, we max those out when we were working, but we are retired completely off of the real estate income, just the cash flow from the real estate. And uh, the we kind of just fell into short-term rentals. We like long-term rentals and we really enjoyed that. And what we did was when we actually moved to Europe uh, in 2019, and so we got six good months of travel before COVID happened. And that was like life-changing for us. You know, the fact that we were able to do that was great. Uh, but then COVID happened and like travel looks completely differently now. So what we did was we had a unit that was rented out and then the tenants turned in their notice and we were like, well, we're either going to have to place a tenant in like a week before we go to Europe or we can turn it into an Airbnb and then we can stay in it when we come back. And so really it was more for us to be able to use it than it was for it to be an Airbnb and, uh, and for it to just make some money passively while we're, you know, overseas. And so we hired a, um, manager, a co-host for our Airbnb. And then, um, when we came back because of COVID, uh, we realized like one, our Airbnb host wasn't even like physically going to the place. So this was like a passive income stream for them. And I was like, well, shit, if they can do it, I can do it. And so, uh, so we started managing our own and then we started a second one and then a third one. And uh, now we're about to set up a fourth one as well. So. And then how long did you have your traditional corporate jobs uh, enabled to max out your 401ks and other retirement? Vehicles. I would, I was full time almost four years, mm -hmm. and I mean I had like interned there um, for I think uh, two or three years before that. But yeah, I was like four, like with the four hundred one k and everything. It was about four, well, about four give or take. Yeah, and it was pretty much the same for me. Uh, we had both started our jobs around the same time, and then she got a work assignment in St. Louis, and so I quit my job and went to St. Louis, 
And uh, then we ended up coming back. And so I got the same job for a promotion. So I know a lot of people talk about like job hopping, you know, and I did that, but went to the same company and got a promotion getting, or not a promotion, sorry, got like a significant raise doing the exact same job that I was doing before. So, uh, so that was like perfect. Not that it was a lot of money to begin with, but uh, sure. it was at least, it, at least it was something. And I got to come back and I was already familiar with the company, with the people, everybody liked me. I liked it. And it was a lot of fun. How many real estate doors do you have? Right now we have nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just sold a duplex last year and sold a condo last year and then bought another condo. So we're just kind of like one, like almost exchanging one for the other, especially last year, like the duplex, it was our first purchase and uh, it was in the worst area, like by far, not that any of them are in bad areas, but it was the worst one. And so we were like, you know what, we might as well cash out on this while and we knew a tenant was leaving. We didn't want to have to place another tenant. It was a perfect opportunity for someone else to come in and take it and, you know, place their own tenant and feel confident in that. And so, um, so we sold it last year. Cool. And actually this may lead in to what you just mentioned. So you have uh, nine units, you, you guys worked for like four years, you're traveling all over the world. It sounds like everything's perfect and going great. You're in, you're in good shape too throw that on top. So any mistakes along the way, uh, any real estate purchases or even small, big mistakes, anything you can share that we can learn from? So we did make one real estate mistake, right? We, we got really ambitious and we were like, you know what, these are going so easy. Like, you know, we bought so many places at this point, I think we might've had six or seven units at that time. And we bought a house because we were like, you know, we, we all our places are essentially one bedroom or two bedroom. We do have one three bedroom house, uh, but most of our places are smaller and that's kind of the way we prefer it. And so we got out of our wheelhouse. We were like, you know what, we need a house in an established neighborhood and this will be the perfect buy. And so we overspent. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say overspent. We spent more than we had on any other unit by far. Like it was more than twice as much as some of our other places. And, uh, and it was still only 110 grand at that point. Mm -hmm. But um, so we bought this house and then because we had spent so much on the house, we were really eager to get a tenant in and we bought it in November and we placed a tenant in December and, you know, a three bedroom house, in December, like not a great time to place a tenant. And we were just so eager for the first person to come along to take it from us. And so within like three months, we had to evict this person because of non-payment. And, uh, and so it was like a headache on our part for sure, like that we probably shouldn't have taken on. And then after we had the eviction, we were like already a little fed up with the place. It was the highest interest rate. It was the highest loan amount. And so we were like, let's just go ahead and sell it. And so within you know, six months, I guess, maybe seven or eight months, we had bought, placed a tenant, evicted that tenant and sold it all at the same time. Like, and so, um, that was, that was a mistake. We were really quick to every, every move. It was like way too fast, right? Like we had decided to buy it way too quickly. We had decided to place a tenant way too quickly. Then we were like a little gun shy from evicting the tenant. And so then we decided to sell it like super quickly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether or not that would have been a great place to keep, because we didn't keep it, but now I'm, I mean, we're happy that we got rid of it, but, uh, cause that funded some other purchases too, but it was just like, we were really excited about real estate and, uh, a little too over eager. Yeah. One quick follow-up about the short-term rentals. What makes those work? And what I'm asking here is, are they like in a college town or some kind of vacation area? 
So amazingly, they work and they work really well, even in Huntsville, Alabama, right? Which is where we are. That's where all of our short terms, I mean, Madison, like a suburb of Huntsville. Uh, but we get a lot of business travelers and different things like that. Even like little weekend stays, people are coming in for space camp. So we have a diverse number of things that people come in for. It's not really a vacation town. No one would ever think that Huntsville, Alabama is a good place to have a short-term rental. And sometimes I debate whether it is or not, but um, it's done really well and it's given us an opportunity. So like we had mentioned, you know, that uh, I grown up pretty poor. Uh, it's given us an opportunity. So I, we've hired my mom to be the cleaner so that my siblings and I don't have to continually give her money because her phone's still getting cut off. Like cars are still like breaking down. Like she just made like the worst car purchase in the world, like a few months ago. And I was trying to help her find a car and she went and signed up for like uh, over 20% interest rate on a car. Uh, and I was talking to her about it and she was like, no, 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 don't worry. I didn't put anything down. I was like, Oh, okay. So it's a hundred percent financed. That's perfect. That's what I love to hear. So it's like stuff like that. Like, and you know, as much as my siblings and I may try, you know, she is an adult. She's more than welcome to make her own decisions. But all that is to say, we have hired her to be our Airbnb cleaner so that we can give her money. And she's earning that money as opposed to like me and my siblings just having to give her money uh, day to day. And so that's been beneficial for us as well. Doug, I am available to scrub your toilets if you ever want to hire. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it, too. I, I listen to uh, Mindy's show when you're on there, and I hear you guys have a toilet brush problem. Is that true? <laughs> it, it is true. Mindy, my wife, is obsessed with toilet brushes. Like, we'll go to Ikea, and I don't know what it is. She'll be like, oh, the old ones are bad. And I look at them, I'm like... They're bad. Like, how does a toilet brush go bad? She's like, oh, they get <laughs> the bristles get all flat. I'm like, I don't know. They they look okay to me. So, our house probably has like 50 toilet brushes. Don't you throw them away when you get done with them? It's less than that. Nah, what do you mean when when you get done with them? Like single use? When uh, when the bristles are flat. Yeah, I don't see them having the same problems as she does. Well, sometimes like one side will be like that. I'm like, okay, just flip it over and use the other side. They're still usable part on this toilet brush what about the bidet we know you guys are still there what about the bidet that you uh just got how's that working out i am going to install it this afternoon i've been busy mm. i was in austin so yeah oh you guys sound like That's you might cool. be into yeah. bidets i've never used one in my life but i bought one because i want to save a little bit money on toilet paper I want to save some trees in western canada so sure. are do you guys do the bidet life we are interested in bidets, just much like you. Like we, uh, we, I think I might have used one a couple of times, but um, the idea is definitely like very appealing to me. Like, what other body part would you like have poop on and not like use water and something to get it off? You're just like, nope, that'll do. Like that's clean. Like <laughs> yeah. in, in no world is that clean. So I do like the idea of it, but we haven't we haven't personally installed one yet because again we're bouncing around from like different units to to turn them into Airbnbs while we're here or we're like snowbirding in someone else's place. And so. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll have to check it out. And si another side note while we're on this tangent, someone sent me a DM on Instagram that works at a bidet company out of Colorado. And I think he's going to hook us up. I, I forget the name of the wow. companies. He listens to the show, but we'll talk later. Cause it sounds like they're pretty nice heated water and like the whole, wow. I think it's a heated seat. There's lights under there, like some LED lighting. God, I, wow. I, I might never leave the bathroom. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. You've been in there four hours. Are you dead? Did you Elvis yourself up there? <laughs> oh. That's a good verb. Elvis. Okay. Where are we at here? Short term versus long term. Oh, I have a couple real estate questions. So do you have a goal for the number of doors that you want to have long term? Uh, I think the number that we have is appropriate. If it ebbs and flows a little bit here and there, it's not a big deal. Like to us, it's not like a set number. It's really like as long as we're cash flowing enough mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we sell a place or we buy a place. It's just for the cash flow. And uh, I don't I don't foresee us owning over 10 or sorry, over uh, 15 units, probably. Right now, that's hard to say offhand, like making a decision for my future self. Mm-hmm. But right now, nine is plenty. Ten was fine. We had 11 at one point. And, uh, and it's not, it's not difficult at all. Like we're managing it remotely, mm-hmm. uh, and doing that from, you know, Europe or wherever we are at the time. And so it's, it's not hard to me. So the, the additional effort that five more units may take is like minuscule. Sure. You get the basics down so you can just plug it right. into the system. And then how leveraged are you guys? I know some people want to be really leveraged. Some people want to have more equity in there. So if you can share that in a broad sense. Yeah. So we we have one place that we own free and clear. Yeah. And then the other places are leveraged, but not that much. Right. So just to give you an example, uh, we bought two duplexes for 50000 a piece. Right. And so 25% down is what those required. So honestly, now I think the mortgages are right at 30 grand each. And so we could pay those off if we wanted to. So the number is so low on those properties. We have another one that we bought for 43 grand. Mm -hmm. There was a condo and that interest rate is super low because we actually lived in it for a while. And so the, the values of the properties have gone up obviously tremendously. So we're actually like at a super low percentage of, you know, value to loan ratio. Amazing. And are they all in Huntsville or the area? They are. Yeah. But we bought before we knew everything was going to blow up. Right. So like most of our purchases were between 2017 and 2019. Yeah. Um, And we still buy the occasional one, like I said, but, uh, and sell, you know, occasionally, but the prices are not quite what they were like those $50,000 duplexes. Those were like uh, shooting fish in a barrel at the time. Like it was perfect. It was the best buy that we've had. And now like across the street, they've built houses for like, 450 460 grand and so it's a it's a very different market now than it was when we started but holy cow that's crazy is that due to uh, i know real estate in general has been going bonkers but huntsville i think is that where like the the space force is and they just Mm -hmm. got that recently is that why like industry what is making huntsville do well if there is something and this just isn't the general uptick yeah course. so it is industry for yeah. sure fbi just is coming fbi um, headquarters is coming down from dc think, uh, what meta facebook yeah facebook is building a huge data center here mm-hmm. and we've got the space command like you mentioned and nasa is already here like all the um, aerospace firms. engineering firms are yeah. here everybody's here for that uh northrop grumman boeing all those and so it's a big like industry town and we do have a, a few universities in town. And, uh, you know, with all those things come, you know, downstream uh, employers from that. We have quite a lot of manufacturing, which for us is like, you know, kind of the perfect tenants because they get paid pretty good. Uh, but a lot of times they don't necessarily have the money habits to uh, to save up enough. Or especially with our places where we have small one bedroom places. And so we're getting a lot of like, college grads fresh out of school who are coming down for their first engineering job uh, or something like that. 
And uh, so, yeah, Huntsville has boomed is particularly like we mentioned for the FBI thing, because people are selling their homes, you know, in D.C. or in the you know northern Virginia area. And uh, and they've got a few hundred thousand in equity and they can come down here and just buy anything they want. They can buy a mansion for that. And so the housing prices have just skyrocketed because of that. That's awesome. I like that. I like investing in areas that are on the upswing like that. I guess where we're at is kind of like that too. Uh, there's Boulder, which is already super nice, but there's all these tech jobs there, but no one can afford to live there. So they all move to Longmont. We're like Boulder's dormitory or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got here a little bit late. It was already expensive when I moved. So, all right. Anything else on investing that you could think of? I don't think so. Should we talk about financial independence? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. So after you had the fateful day where you came across Mr. Money Mustache and came home and asked Emily to return the dresses and changed all the <laughs> thermostats, how long after that did it take you to become financially independent? I think right at three years. Yeah. Uh, it was right at three years that we were financially independent. I don't think we quit for like a, f a little while after that. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. A few months like after that. Summer, yeah. Really. yeah. Um, and so it was, it was a, pretty fast <laughs> path to find <laughs> one. We got really lucky, uh, that we didn't graduate with any student loans. Mm -hmm. Um, I graduated with an associate's degree, uh, from a local community college and got Pell grants the whole way through just because my family was so poor. So it wasn't necessarily because like I had made this conscious decision. I just genuinely didn't need them because the grants were so high. And, um, and Emily lived at home for the last few years of college so that she could pay for college. And so it was like, we, we made conscious decisions that just like looking back on it, it helped us a lot on our path, but we didn't make those decisions like at the time because we were trying to reach fire. Obviously we had no idea about it. Uh, and so the three years, yeah, we, we house hacked, we, you know, lived incredibly frugally. We did all the work ourselves. On yeah. All life. the work ourselves on the rental properties, mm -hmm. like didn't hire out anything. Uh, drove I mean, old cars. Yeah, I mean, we drove old shitty cars. I bike to work most days if I could. And so uh, we did everything that we could to kind of get to the path. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I was going to say three years were you guys robbing banks. Is there, <laughs> is, is there a flavor of FI? We've got all these like slow FI and all that. Um, is there R Rob Bank FI? I guess I think it's called prison FI. Yeah, that would lead to prison FI. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's totally good. You don't have to worry about anything or totally bad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Three meals a day, take a room and board. It's yeah. a good deal. When you guys were on the three-year journey, were you really excited telling people about it? How did that go? Um, James, you had you have siblings, right? Emily, I'm not sure. But yeah, just people around you. How did they react when you were really um, excited? They We try not to, um, I guess, bombard our f friends and family with it just because like, I don't know, it, like, I guess if you initially hear about it, it almost sounds like a, I don't know, like, like an MLM, MLM or, yeah. you know, like something that like, I don't know, it's hard to like wrap your head around. But I remember we went to our first um, Camp Fi and my parents drove us to the airport and because it was in like, you know, an hour and a half away we were flying um, out of. And my mom had recently saw one of those like TV shows where like they were struggling with money. And so they went to like, they had like an intervention kind of thing. And so it was like she, a sitcom. Yeah. And so she was like, you know, like, like everyone goes through these hard times, you know, it's okay if like you're struggling. And so they didn't really um, like understand like our situation and like, you know, where we were in um, like at that point kind of thing. And I don't think they really understood 
they, I don't think they really understand now. No. Um, like, you know, how we get our money, how much money we have, like how, um, like we don't need, you know, help from them kind of thing. But yeah. Well, so yeah, exactly. Like they thought that we were on the other end of the spectrum because from the outside looking in, we yeah. had sold our cars and bought these old shitty cars. We lived in a nice condo and then downgraded to a smaller condo and then downgraded even further to like a mother-in-law that we house hacked. And so from the outside looking in, they were like, man, they are on some hard times, <laughs> which is funny because like we were doing better financially than we ever had mm-hmm. and we're happier probably for it. I remember I was trying to evangelize it. Emily might not have talked to people about it. I was like telling everybody about it. I was like, this is going to change your life. And no one gave a shit. Like no one, yeah. like it's, it's like an MLM, right? They, they have to find the information for themselves for one, right? They have to want to find the information, right? You can't just bombard people with it. I guess some people, maybe that works. A lot of times I find that they've got to be in the right place in their life that this like message resonates with them. I remember I told my twin sister, right? When I first found out about financial independence, uh, we're the same age, lived in the same household, did all the same things, right? And so uh, I told her, I said, you know, I found out about this website, like I'm going to retire by 30, right? And uh, and I was 25 and she was like, I just want you to have realistic goals, right? That's what she said. And I ended up retiring at 28. So, you know, shortened that like short timeline already by two years. So it's really funny. And she is completely opposite me now, right? Uh, despite having grown up again in the same situation, not to like disparage her or anything, sure. but she likes nice clothes. She likes to have a new car. She likes to have like all these things. And her husband says to have grown up as poor as y'all did, she sure does like to spend money, which is like funny to <laughs> yeah. us, but. Interesting. And yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because you do want to share, but yeah, that's a common common thread. We get so excited and people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? So when you finally did retire, hopefully I'm not jumping ahead too far here, but what do you tell people you do now? Because another common thread is if you're as young as you guys are and you say, hey, we're retired, people think you're a little off and they don't know what you're talking about. So what do you say these days? I don't, I don't know what you say, but I, just to make it easier, I tell people that um, we're real estate investors. Which is like such an easy thing that's been around for so long. People understand that, right? Like, as opposed to saying like, oh, we're early retirees. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you have to explain how that even comes right. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I say that we manage real estate or that we're real estate investors. Um, or sometimes it depends on the situation, right? If people ask me what I do, I'm like for fun or, you know, and I just kind of like poke at the question a little bit more. I'm like, I bike, I go to the gym, I hang out, I do whatever the hell I want. And then they're like, no, no, no. How do you pay your bills? And I'm like, oh, okay. That, that's a different question. Is financial independence life as good as you thought it would be? I think it's better. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it is better. Like, I don't know. It's always like this like light at the end of the tunnel and you think that this whole thing is going to change who you are as a person. And it's not. It's just a goal that you reach. And then it just, um, I don't know, almost amplifies whatever your current choices already are right so if you're if you're i'm not again not disparaging anybody that does anything right if you're on this path at all but if you're the type of person that's just investing in index funds sitting on your ass at home and like letting all that stuff work for you and you're not actually doing anything outside of that right you're not going to like magically become a different person because you've reached this goal you're going to sit on your ass and you're going to watch netflix and there's nothing wrong with that right absolutely not but for us, like we like to be active, we like to do things. And so it just gave us more time to explore those type of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to travel. And so we'll travel for months at a time, you know, going to Mexico or going to Europe or going to Florida or going wherever the hell we want. 
And so it just amplifies whatever traits you already have. Uh, and you can choose to change those. Like we weren't mountain biking before and now we are a bunch. And so, um, so yeah, it just depends. Yeah, it is so good. I live about three miles away from Doug and, uh, when I have time, I'll, I'll walk back and forth. So six miles and often I'll take the long way. Like I'll, I'll make it even longer because it's so good just to wander around, listen to music or a podcast and take a look. And I try to go a different way every time and notice different things. It's small things like that have so much value. I'm so thankful mm -hmm. for FI, just for stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. So we talked about the both extremes. James, I think you were one extreme, how you found Mr. Mighty Mustache and you instantly pivoted. And maybe some of your family members are a little bit different. What would you say to someone who is on the fence? So I wrote an article here. What if someone came up to you and said, hey, hey, James, I know you're into this fire thing and I'm mildly interested, but I really like all my cars, my season tickets to sports games, my clothes, my vacations. What, how, would, how would you convince someone like that? How would you tip the scales to the, to the side of financial independence? Well, I'd say that there are many different paths, right? The idea is like you can enjoy all those things, right? And just cut out something else, right? Spend on what you enjoy, you know, frivolously. That's fine. You know, and the other side of that is that's all well and good while you like your job, right? Or at least as long as your job is tolerable. But what if you don't like your job, right? All it takes is uh, someone, someone else becoming your manager, right. To have a different workload, uh, you know, to, to have enjoyed the people that you worked with. And now you're actually just sitting at home working from home and the workload you don't enjoy, but the people you enjoy, mm -hmm. right. And now you don't have those people that made your job tolerable. So I would say it's always nice to have options and you can still go to concerts, right? Like we, like I said, we travel, we do whatever the hell we want. Like it's not, uh, we, we're a lot less money conscious, now that we're five, then we thought we would have, right? Even leading up to five, like we were so much more money conscious than we are now because we have enough. And there was a time where we were meticulously tracking everything. And we realized like there, that was not worth the mental effort that it took or the stress of feeling like, like I've got to beat last month's number. Like it's so silly. And so for us now, like we lead a very stress-free life and we do what we want when we want. And you can still do all those things. Uh, it, we just ask that, you know, take a couple of years to set yourself up to where you can do that in perpetuity forever. And a follow-up on that is your expenses. So have they changed from what you estimated during the journey or over the last couple of years? They have changed. Uh, so it's just different. I wouldn't say like, so now we don't have a housing expense per se, because like all of our places are being paid by tenants. And so like, just for instance, like in a place that we're in now, we're planning on converting it to an Airbnb and then we'll be out of it and we'll be moving into another place that a tenant has just vacated. And, um, and so it's like, we don't really have a housing expense. We like, we drive used cars, we travel. Sure. But, um, the additional income from everything going up has also assisted with like, I mean, we've got more than enough and we, we're still saving enough to buy places with cash if we want. So it's like such a surplus that now we're not even tracking at all. That's awesome. Awesome. What do y'all do for health insurance? So we both have uh, through, uh, what is it? I guess the uh, market share. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the health place, health care to got dove, <laughs> uh, the Obamacare essentially. Right. Okay. And so because, because we invest in real estate and it's so, beneficial when it comes to taxes we don't show a lot of on paper income and that makes it incredibly easy like we're getting 
crazy subsidies when it comes to health insurance. And, uh, you know, that's not something that we necessarily planned on, uh, but it's something that we do take advantage of. Very good. Yeah. Well, as we're, we're wrapping it up here, what does a perfect day look like? And you could, you know, make it a vacation day, a normal day when you're renovating or, or whatever, however you want to shape it. Hopefully your two days will line up a little bit. Well, <laughs> it is, it is April. So April 25th, it's not too hot, not too cold. And you just need a light jacket. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> it's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I think traveling um, in somewhere warm. Um, I'm I'm not a fan of the cold, so I'm always like I want to be somewhere where it's um, you know warm. Getting up, taking a walk, going um, exercising, you know, going to explore a new town, new like everything. Yeah, I no, know. I agree, hundred percent. Like we like to. Travel and we like to travel in warm places, usually on coasts, right? Like, so we take a walk along the beach or like along the coastline or along a pier or some boardwalk or something like that. Um, and then go to the gym, you know, and explore like a cafe or like find a restaurant that we haven't been to mm -hmm. uh, and just like have new experiences that we haven't had yet. Mm -hmm. And so for us, like, that's like, they're for me at least, I don't know. Like, to me, that's the perfect day is to like, go someplace that I've never been mm -hmm. and to experience all new things, all new sounds, all new tastes, like sights, everything, like all things new to me. That's like just so much fun. And we enjoy, you know, going to like our favorite restaurants. We enjoy, you know, hanging out with friends and obviously doing things like that. And if, if friends travel with us, that's even better, right? Like we love it when we go travel with friends and we just get to all experience new things. And we're among like-minded people mm -hmm. that we can like relate to on deeper things, which mm -hmm. is like perfect. Yeah. What's uh, the next trip coming up? So we're actually going to Mexico next week. No, yeah, uh, next week. Yeah, we're going to Mexico next week for a couple weeks. Um, one of Emily's friends is getting married down there. I, I, she's my friend too, but uh, she's particularly Emily's friend. And uh, and then after that, we're going to Europe for like a month. So um, so yeah, we've got we've got a little travel plan for now. But uh, after that, we'll be back in the states for for the summer at least. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Europe are you going to? And so we're going to Portugal. Mm -hmm. We're going to fly into uh, Spain and then we're going over to Portugal. And then from there, I think we're going to do like uh, Southern France. We've not done Portugal before. Mm -hmm. We've done Southern France before, but not this particular area. And so, uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Very good. Well, this has been amazing. Where can people find you if they want to follow along with your journey? Um, we are on um, social media, so Rethink the Rat Race. Um, we're um, our website as well, RethinktheRatRace.com. Yeah. We're particularly active on Instagram. We didn't post a lot during COVID, and so we haven't posted on the site. All of our information is still there from all the purchases that we've made and like how we manage properties and different things like that. We haven't updated it recently, but all the information still holds true. And uh, But yeah, we are more active definitely on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have good stories. There's usually some sort of mishap with renovations. It always makes me laugh. You guys do a fine job with that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, our planning is apparently really shit because like it always ends up being a really funny story because like we yeah. we we have bought the wrong thing where we've got half of what we need or just different stuff like that. It's real life. Yeah, it it's fun. very yeah, it's very uh, upbeat for like a mistake because I'd be cussing up and maybe you you guys don't show that part, but I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, this has been fantastic. We'll put links for everything and thanks for joining us today. Thanks Thank for you. Having us.
Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. I don't have any great questions. Oh, I got one. We may ask it in there, but Carl and I were just talking about uh, protein consumption and such, and we're we're trying to. What I don't know, what we're trying to do. We're trying to put on some muscle. I guess is that accurate? I, I think it would be accurate. I feel goofy saying such a thing, but yeah, yeah, sure. So, do, do you guys track your um, protein intake? How much do you get per day, or have you like dialed it in? Just in a broad sense. So we used to, yeah, yeah. So we used to, especially like, so we used to compete in powerlifting. And, um, and so when we were doing that, we were like tracking every macro, like meticulously because we needed to be sure that we were going to make weight and all this kind of stuff. But since we now have an understanding after doing that for so long of like what, what we need, then, uh, then like now it's kind of just like on autopilot. So we don't track it as much as we used to. Um, but we eat very similar things every day. And so, uh, you know, the, the rule of thumb is it depends on who you ask, right? Uh, cause this is like a wild like range, but, um, if you ask bodybuilders, which I was like doing physique shows and stuff like that, uh, you're supposed to get at least a pound or sorry, uh, uh, a gram of protein per pound of body weight, right? That's the rule of thumb from bodybuilders, right? Now, what you're actually supposed to get is a gram of protein for each kilogram that you weigh, right? Which is half of what the initial suggestion is. And so it's just like a wide range in there. And actually you need even less than that to sustain yourself, but to grow, you're supposed to get one per uh, kilogram of body weight per day. And how did you do that being a vegan? Are are y'all still vegans? But I know you were for a long time. And if you were like, how did you get your protein? So we were, yeah, we were freegan, right? That was like our like claim to fame was that we were freegan. But um, so we were doing like vegan protein shakes, right? Like so, um, yeah, like pea protein, like brown rice protein, flax, flax, Uh, hemp seeds, Mm -hmm. like all that kind of stuff. Um, And and then you know we were eating like just a a shit ton of beans and uh, (laughs) and and like legumes and you know chickpeas and stuff like that. Uh, tofu and soy, but um, we are no longer freegan, and mm-hmm. so it's it's like super easy to to hit your your protein target now because like we we 
eat meat, we eat eggs, we eat whatever. God, you probably had some epic bowel movements on that diet. <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty regular. Yeah. One of the other pros, yeah.